Luke chapter 12 is where we're going to be this morning, and I'm going to start reading in verse 22 down to verse 31. So if you have your Bibles there now, Luke, 22, Luke 12, starting at verse 22. It says, Then he, that is Jesus, said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry. Circle that. Do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Let's pause there and pray. Lord, it's good to be in your house today, and it's good to open up your word. And we pray that you would speak to us now through the pages of Scripture, particularly on this topic of worry and anxiety. Lord, we live in a day in a world that is very troubling in in many aspects. And it is easy for our hearts to get weighed down by the things of this world and the cares of this world and to become anxious and worried about things in life. But we take to heart these words today and we pray you would use this passage to speak to us and to minister to us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Well, one of the most uh, popular songs that came out of the famous Disney movie, The Lion King, was Hakuna Matata, which is Swahili for no troubles or no worries. Part of the song, uh, I'm sure you're familiar with it, goes, Hakuna Matata ain't no passing craze. It means no worries for the rest of your days. It's our problem-free philosophy, Hakuna Matata. And then, of course, there's also the song by Bobby McFerrin, Don't Worry, Be Happy. If you haven't heard that, if you're too young to know that song, Google it. But part of the words to that song go, in every life we have some trouble. When you worry, you make it double. Don't worry, be happy. Ain't got no place to lay your head. Somebody come and took your bed. Don't worry, be happy. The landlords say your rent is late. He may have to litigate. (laughs) Don't worry. Be happy, man. Well, songs like these are easier sung than done. The fact of the matter is all of us worry some of the time and some of us worry all of the time. But Jesus said that none of us should worry any of the time. None of us should worry any of the time. And he addresses this topic of worry and anxiety head on right here in Luke chapter 12. So obviously, Jesus is well aware of the human tendency to worry. So we're going to attempt to answer three questions today for you note takers. Here here are the three questions. Number one, why do we worry? Number two, what do we typically worry about? 
And number three, how can we fight against the sin of worry? And yes, you heard me right. It is a sin to worry. And I'm not saying it. Jesus is. Because when you look at the opening verse that we started with in verse 22, Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. And so we need to understand the the basic definition of sinning against God is when God tells us to do something and we don't do it. So when God says, I don't want you to worry and we worry, that's disobeying him. So worry is a sin. Now, before I unpack this passage with you a little bit, a word of grace. Because some of you have experienced severe trauma in life that has led to a real battle with anxiety and fear. And for that, you may need, if you're not already, getting professional help. So there is grace for you. No condemnation, okay? But for the vast majority of us, We simply worry because we're not trusting God. Which leads us to the first question. Why do we worry? We often worry about things that we cannot control. Which means that most worry is really a control issue. Which then begs the natural question to that, which is this. Who or what is in control of your life? Now, as Christians, we go around saying, God is in control. God is in control. We love to, you know, declare how sovereign he is, and he is. But many times, we as Christians go around saying God is in control, but we live life like we are in control. And then when we are faced with situations that are beyond our control, we start to worry. So we try to be in control. We think that we are in control. Then we face situations that are beyond our control because very little really is within our control. And it leads to worry and it leads to anxiety and it leads to fear. The word worry, for those of you who like to take notes about the Greek, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. The word worry in the Greek is merimnao. Merimnao, the Greek word, appears three times in this passage. In verse 22, our English word worry In verse 25, worrying, and in verse 26, anxious. Um, It is is interesting that um, when it tells us in verse 29, we shouldn't have an anxious mind, that's actually a different Greek word, meteorizo. We get our English word meteor out of that. In other words, things that are just, you know, beyond us, way in the... In the atmosphere, that's what worrying tends to take us. We just get way in the atmosphere and we lose sight of like reality sometimes. But meritoneo is used three times in those verses I mentioned, verse 22, 25, and 26. And it is from a root word meaning to be distracted or divided. Which makes sense, doesn't it? Because when we worry, both of those things happen. When we worry, we become distracted. Our minds become flooded and preoccupied with everything we're worrying about, and we lose focus on the other things that are important. So we are distracted about everything else that's important because our minds have gone to a place where we're worrying and we're anxious, and so it it distracts us. And worrying also divides us because we we become very conflicted internally. When we start to worry, our, our inside becomes in turmoil, and we're conflicted, and we have a hard time making decisions, and we, and we don't know what to say or what to do, because there's this internal divide. There's a conflict within us. And so we tend to worry 
because we feel out of control instead of learning to be under the control of the Holy Spirit. That's why we worry. It's, it's really a statement about uh, not being under the control of the Holy Spirit and trying to control things ourselves, which again is a futile exercise because there's very little we ever really have control over in the first place. And then the second question is, what do we typically worry about? Well, when you look in the, in the text here, in Jesus' day, the two main areas of anxiety for people were food and clothing. This is what he addresses there in verses 22 and 23. It says, then he said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Verse 23, he says, life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. So those were the two main worries of the people of his day. And you have to remember the first century, I mean, these were legitimate worries in the sense that they often didn't even know where their next meal was coming from. So when they would ask, what are we going to eat? It was often because, you know, they didn't have a pantry stocked with food. They didn't have a refrigerator stocked with food. They're just wondering from day to day where their next meal is going to come from. And they also had the worry about what are we going to wear? Because in those days... A lot of times the only clothing that they owned was what was on their backs. And so they have this worry about food and clothing. And so in order to try to help them and to give them peace and comfort and to minister to them, Jesus draws on two common everyday examples to help them understand how much God cares for them by highlighting two common things. The first thing that Jesus highlights there in verse 24, he says, consider the ravens. Now he's going to use ravens as an example about their worry over food. And so he says there in verse 24, consider the ravens. And Jesus basically says, hey, they they don't sow, they don't reap. You know, you don't don't see ravens planting little seeds and waiting for a harvest. You know, they don't have to be farmers. And uh, he says, they don't have storehouses. They don't have barns to stockpile food. Why? Well, because God takes care of them. They rely on God every day and God takes care of them. So, so Jesus is basically saying, you know, look, take, just take a look at the ravens around you. You ever seen a neurotic raven? There's no neurotic raven. Maybe on the football field, but not in nature. <laughs> Yeah, for you Baltimore fans, yeah, they're neurotic. But not in, not in nature. You don't, you don't see a raven perched on a tree limb, you know, chewing its little bird claws, going, ah, ah, where's my next meal coming from? Ah. You're just not going to find that. Why? Because God takes care of them. God takes care of them. And then Jesus adds there in verse 24, the last part of verse 24, he says to his hearers, and how much more valuable are you than birds? How much more valuable are you than birds? By the way, we have it inverted in our day, don't we? We've elevated the animal kingdom above mankind. And so we make all these great laws and provisions for the spotted owl and the sea turtle, but we we don't care about the unborn baby. I mean, it's completely twisted and inverted. But Jesus is letting us know here, listen, human beings are much more valuable than birds. So for all of you watching online from PETA, you know, I just want you to know... I actually do believe in, in PETA, people eating tasty animals. That's what I do. But I do. I believe in that. I do believe in that. But anyway, but, Je- but Jesus is saying, listen, birds are more valuable. Uh, you are more valuable than birds. See, listen, I just converted myself to the PETA philosophy. No, 
Human beings are more valuable than birds. He says, since, since you're so much more valuable than birds and God takes care of the birds every day, don't you think he's going to take care of you? That's his point. And then in the second area of clothing, when they're like, what shall we wear? Jesus draws on another common everyday example, the lilies of the field. Now, if you've ever been with me to Israel, when we go in the springtime, there on the hillside where the Sermon on the Mount was likely delivered, lilies grow wild. They bloom beautifully across the, the landscape of the fields. And so Jesus is probably pointing to one as he's saying this. He's like, consider the lilies. Consider the lilies of the field there, verse 27. So for food, he says, consider the ravens. For the clothing point, he says, consider the lilies. And he says, even King Solomon didn't look as good as the flowers of the field that God dresses. So in verse 28, so if that's the way God takes care of the grass of the field, which is going to be burned up and thrown into the fire, the whole earth is going to melt. He says, if that's how God takes care of the lilies of the field, how much more, and he uses this superlative language again, how much more will he clothe you? So consider these, these different aspects. God's going to feed you and God's going to clothe you. Now, let's translate this a little bit into uh, America in the 21st century. Uh, because we also worry about what are we going to eat and what are we going to wear, but for very different reasons than first century Israeli Jews. You know, today, in the 21st century America, for the most part, there are, are obvious pockets of poverty in our country. But for the most part, you know, when we ask the question, what are we going to eat? It's because we're standing in front of a stocked pantry or an overloaded refrigerator and we're just wondering, what am I hungry for? That's what we mean when we say that. What am I going to eat? We just mean, what am I hungry for? Either that or you're in a restaurant with an overpriced menu and you're trying to figure out all the many choices. What am I going to eat? What am I hungry for? That's why we ask that question today. And when we ask the question, what am I going to wear? We typically ask that question because we're standing in front of our clothes closet and we're looking at all these clothes, half of which we don't even wear. And we're wondering, what, what's going to make me look the best? And what's the weather forecast for today? That's what we mean when we say, what are we going to eat and what are we going to wear? Very, very different questions uh, in terms of the meaning in the first century versus the meaning today. But because we have the luxury of being so well-off, relatively speaking. Even the poorest American is well-off compared to a lot of third-world countries, okay? It's all relative. But since we are, relatively speaking, pretty well-off, food and clothing is not typically something we're anxious about. I read some surveys, and here are some of the top seven, not necessarily in order, but these are the seven main things that Americans most worry about. Number one is the future. Especially younger people. They're like, what's the future hold? What's the future? Who am I going to marry? You know, where am I going to go to school? All the future. What's my job going to be? You know, what is the unknown? And then people worry about the past. They have regrets about things that they can't even change. And so they dwell on the past. They worry about what they've done. They worry about past things. People worry about money. People worry about their health. People worry about job security. People worry about relationships. And people worry about what others Think. These are the seven common biggest worries that Americans have. Now, some of you are looking at this list. I want you to look at the list and I want you to think to yourself, you know, can you spot one or two on the list that maybe you worry about? But there are some of you sitting here, they're like, all seven, I'm worried about all seven. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, thanks for bringing this up today. You really made my day. I'm, I'm looking at your, at your list, Pastor G, and I'm worried about all seven things. Okay, well, we're going to have a solution to it as we look into God's story here. But, um, by the way, whenever we are anxious or worried about things, it affects us physiologically. One of the things it affects, and I'm sure you've noticed this because we all worry about something some of the time, is it affects appetite, your physical appetite. Now, it has the opposite effect depending on how you deal with worry and stress and anxiety. For some people, you completely lose your appetite and you don't want to eat anything. You have a nervous stomach. For other people, it accelerates your appetite. You want comfort food, and and so you eat more when you're stressed and when you're worried. Now, I, I will tell you, you know, my problem, and if you come up to me after the service and tell me yours, I'll use it for the third service. But when I typically worry, and I know it's not right, but, but when I typically worry, I lose my appetite completely. I don't want to eat anything. I, I just lose all desire for food completely. And um, one of the times that this, you know, really was difficult for me and played out in a very embarrassing way is when I first started dating Terry, who's now my wife, when I first started dating her, I had this nervous stomach and, you know, I just didn't want to eat because I'm, I'm, you know, worried, I'm anxious. And so after probably, I don't know, first or second date, she's like, why don't you come over to my house and hang out with my family and we'll have pizza. Pizza? Like, that's the worst thing to eat when you have no appetite. Oh, yeah, I, I want a big ball of dough in my gut when, when I'm hanging out with your family. That's what I want. But I'm like, okay, let, you know, sure, yeah, sure. And so I go, and, I, and I'm eating the pizza. And halfway through the pizza, I'm like, I'm going to hurl. I'm going to hurl. And I'm like, and this is going to be even worse. It's all playing through my head. I'm like, I'm going to hurl right here on the dining room table. And they're never going to let me marry her. And it's going to go really bad downhill from here. So I got to excuse myself from the table. So I'm like feeling myself getting nauseous with this nervous stomach. So I'm like, I, 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 I got to run to my car. I have to run out to my car real quick. And like, you have to run to your car? Yeah, I have to, I, I'll be right back. I just I have to run out to my car. I, I leave the kitchen table. I run out to my car. And I'm on the other side of my car away from their house. And I'm like, I'm, hur- I'm throwing it all up. I'm throwing it all right there on her lawn. But I'm on the other side of my car. I'm like hiding. I'm crouching down like, Ugh! and Terry comes to the front door and she's looking for me. And, but I'm hiding behind my car. I'm hurling. And she's like, hello, hello. And I'm, and I'm like, I'm right over here. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm okay. I'm just checking some things out. Yeah, I was checking some things out. I'm checking the grass out with my pepperoni. That's what I'm checking out. And, and she's like, are you coming back in? Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, I'll be there. And oh, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah. It was embarrassing. Now, again, tell me your story. I'll be glad to use it for the third service. When I get worried and anxious, that's just what happens. I, I just, I lose all appetite and I get, I, I get all nervous. I don't want to eat anything. For others of you, though, you're, you're like comfort food. That's what happens when you get worried and you're stuffing cake and pie and ice cream in your mouth and you can't get enough cake and pie and ice cream. By the way, I don't know if you know this, there's actually a reason for that. The reason is because when you're stressed and you eat all that, stressed spelled backwards is desserts. <laughs> It is. Some of you didn't know. You're calculating right. Hey, that is. That is true. Yeah. Stressed, spelled backwards, is desserts. 
So that's why, you know, you're going heavy on the desserts. But anyway, however you deal with it, the bigger issue is we got to deal with the problem of worry because that's the root of the issue here. We, we know that stress and anxiety and worry have a physiological effect on us. Dr. Charles Mayo, co-founder with his brother of the Mayo Clinic, he said, quote, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, the whole nervous system. And I love this quote by Corey Ten Boom. She once said, quote, worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. So, how can we fight against the sin of worry? I'm going to give you three subpoints to this right out of Scripture. And the first one is we have to take captive every thought. We have to take captive every thought. Worry is a battle, and the battlefield is the mind. Because it first comes into your thoughts the things that are anxious and worrisome to us. And so, therefore, we have to do battle in our minds. Remember, in this story, Jesus starts to conclude everything by saying in verse 30, he says in verse 30, the nations of the world run after all these things. Some translations say the pagans run after all these things. In other words, an unsaved world that has no help is just self-reliant because they don't know the Lord and therefore they can't draw on the Lord's help or the Lord's strength. An unsaved world goes in search of all these things and worries about all these things and is anxious about all these things. But you see, followers of Christ have a different ability to cope and a different ability with the grace and help of God to deal with the things that cause us to be anxious. And this is why, in a similar way, when Paul would write, and I put the verse up there on the screen for you, in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5, he talks about the world and how they deal with things and how we as Christ followers need to deal with things. And it's in the context of taking captive every thought because that's where the battle begins. So this is what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 5. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now listen to the the battle language there. He's talking about the the war that we're fighting and the weapons that we have to fight this war. And he's not talking about a physical war. He's talking about this internal spiritual conflict that happens often within us. And so he goes on to say in verse 5 of that passage, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. What he's saying to us is, through God's help and grace and power, we have a weapon that the rest of the world does not know if they don't know God. And that weapon is the help of the Holy Spirit to take captive every thought that is dishonoring to God or sinful to God. So this can be applied in many different ways. Sinful thoughts need to be taken captive, but in the context of what we're talking about, worrisome, anxious thoughts need to be taken captive. This is where it all begins. There is a battle that goes on in our minds to control us, and we have to rein in our thoughts, because if we don't, our thoughts every time will take us to a very dark place. And so it starts there. 
by saying, Lord, this thought right now that is flooding my mind is not of you and it doesn't glorify you. I take it captive and in Jesus' name, I dismiss it from my mind. And Lord, I focus on you. And maybe you need to get into his word then and just have his word to wash over your mind to get rid of these anxious thoughts. But it's important that we take captive every thought. When I stop to think of all the things I worried about that have never happened, I think about how much time I've wasted. It's embarrassing how much time I've wasted. And it's also equally as embarrassing how faithless I've been to God. Because in those worrisome, anxious thoughts of just, you know, thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it, you know how it goes. Like 95% of the stuff never even happens. So we've wasted all this time and we've also dishonored God because we've shown our faithlessness in the way that we've worried about it. And, and, and I, w- I just want to tell you, for the 95% of stuff that never happens that we worry about, the other 1% to 5% that might happen, God will give you the grace for God will give us the grace for. So we have to take captive every thought. I know the reason why a lot of us let our minds go there. Because we think to ourselves, if I can prepare myself for the worst, then I will at least be prepared. And if it doesn't happen, well, then icing on the cake. But if it does, I'll I'll be ready. But again... 95% of the time, it never even happens. So we've wasted all this time worrying about something, and we've lost focus because we've been distracted, and we're divided and conflicted in our hearts, all for stuff that a lot of times doesn't even happen. So it's not a matter of, well, i got to prepare myself. i got to steal myself for for the worst of the news or for the worst of what might happen. If that 1% to 5% does end up happening, God will give you the grace for it. Don't waste the time and don't show yourself faithless to God in the meantime. It just isn't productive. This is why Jesus said, who by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? It's like it's, like it's not going to affect our lives one iota to worry. It doesn't change anything. It doesn't fix anything. This is why Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. So we have to take captive every thought. Second thing is we have to lean into our Heavenly Father. Lean into our Heavenly Father. Now, this is right here in Luke 12. And I want to point out a couple of verses here to you. I love the way that Jesus says in verse 24, God feeds the birds. And in verse 28, God clothes the lilies. Now again, New Testament originally written in Greek. So when Jesus says God, it's written as Theos. God will feed the birds and God will clothe the lilies, God, Theos. But then he transitions later down into verse 30, and he says, and by the way, your father knows that you need these things. And he changes from God, Theos, to father, pater in the Greek. Your daddy will take care of you. You have a father in heaven who loves you. And he will take care of you, whatever you're going through. And I love this transition because he moves it from the powerful, majestic God that God is, and he brings it down to a very familial relationship. And he says, but listen, your father in heaven knows you need all these things. And your dad's going to take care of you. 
We need to be reminded of this. Some of you didn't have an earthly dad who instilled much comfort and security in you. But you need to know that you have a heavenly father who wants you to know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So we have to lean into him. The third thing, the last thing is this. We have to pray it through until you get God's peace. We have to pray it through until we get God's peace. In Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Paul would write this. Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing. The word anxious there in Philippians 4, 6 is the same Greek word we're talking about here in Luke 12. Merimneo. Be anxious for nothing. Listen to the rest. But in everything, with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God, and the peace that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We have to pray it through until we get God's peace. Now, listen to me on this. When he says that there in Philippians 4, 6, he uses two words. He says prayer and supplication. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, everything that troubles you, everything that worries you, through prayer and supplication. The word prayer, two different words, but the word prayer basically means to commune and connect with God. Commune and connect with God. Talk to God. Have conversation. Pour out your heart. And, and just, you know, have conversation with him. Talk to him. Sometimes, obviously, confess sin. Just, you know, get your heart right with him and commune with him and connect with him. That's prayer. But supplication is a different word. And with that, the connotation is petition or request. So it's okay. We are invited to make our request known to him. But listen, it's prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Always give thanks and praise to God for who he is. He's your father in heaven who loves you. He has your best interest in mind. So as you're praying, as you're communing and connecting with him, as you're making requests through supplication, always season it with thanksgiving to let him know how much you love him and you're thankful for him. That He's your father and give him praise through all of it. And then it tells us as the promise to all of that, and it says, and the peace that passes, New King James says, surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean by peace that surpasses understanding? What that means is, and many of you have experienced this, you know what I'm talking about. When you get to the place where you surrender your, your prayer to God, and you're in your prayer closet or wherever, you're driving your car, you're praying, and, and it may not be just one prayer, one and done. This might be, you know, you have to constantly just labor before the Lord until you finally get His peace. And there is a peace that comes upon you that doesn't make sense. People will look at you and they'll say, you know, your life is falling apart. Why do you have such peace? Yeah, it's that peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense rationally. But that's, that's, the, that's the favor and the goodness of God. He will pour out his peace upon us in ways that are incomprehensible for us because it doesn't really make sense. Why do I have such peace? That's the peace of God because God sometimes will change our circumstances and thereby we have his peace and sometimes our circumstances will stay the same, but he will flood our hearts and minds with his peace to be able to manage through it. And it it won't make sense. This is a peace that passes understanding. It won't make sense to us, it won't make sense to other people, but it is a wonderful peace that God pours out upon His children. And it guards our hearts and our minds back to where we started in Christ Jesus. 
And Peter would say something similar. I put the verse on the screen. It's 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast all your worries on God because he cares for you. There was a hymn written in 1904 about that verse entitled, God Will Take Care of You. It was written by a pastor's wife. Her name was Sevilla Martin. In 1904, the hymn, God Will Take Care of You, the stanzas go like this. Be not dismayed, whate'er betide, God will take care of you. Beneath his wings of love abide, God will take care of you. Through days of toil, when heart doth fail, God will take care of you. When dangers fierce your path assail, God will take care of you. No matter what may be the test, God will take care of you. Lean, weary one, upon his breast. God will take care of you. And then the refrain goes, God will take care of you. Through every day or all the way, he will take care of you. God will take care of you. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, a reminder to us not to worry, but it's easier said than done, Lord, so we need your help with this. We take captive every thought, we make it obedient to you. The things that trouble us and worry us, the things we're anxious about, we take those thoughts captive, and we lean into you, Lord. We look to you as our Father, because you love us. You have our best interest in mind, so we look to you, Lord. Thank you that we can call you our Father, our Daddy in heaven. And we thank you that you will take care of us, Lord. We trust you today. We pray it through until we have your peace. We might be on our knees a long time, but you're always faithful to deliver your peace that passes all understanding to guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who are here today or who later will hear this, who are going through something anxious, something that they're worrying about. You know what it is, Lord. And you know how their hearts are weighed down. And I pray for them today that your peace that passes all understanding will guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. Help them today, Lord. Help them, Lord, with whatever they're worried about, to trust you. Thank you that you walk with us as our Father, holding our hand through the darkest valleys. Whatever is anxious to us, Lord, we're trusting you with it right now, right here. We lay it down. We love you, Lord. Thank you for being our Father. Thank you for helping us. We trust you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen and amen. God bless you all.